Romans 8, verses 14 through 18 this morning. The topic as of late in Romans, uh, Romans chapter 8. I'm a poet. I didn't know it. Topic of late, Romans 6 through 8, has been sanctification. If you've been with us, a couple words have been maybe drilled into you. Justified. If you gave your life to Jesus, you are now justified. Just as if I'd never sinned. He has the ability. He's willing to make you perfectly clean. As a matter of fact, that's the only way you're going to get into heaven. Right? But we've also began talking about this word sanctified or how do we, I become uh, more and more sanctified? How do I become more and more like Jesus? Well, it boils down to this. Chapters 6 through 8 say this kind of over and over again. If you try to be good in your own strength, in your own flesh, you will fail every time. Look at chapter 8, verse 8. makes it pretty succinct and clear. So then, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Paul says, if you make a list and check it twice, try not to be naughty, but nice. You're working in the flesh. It's guaranteed to fail. But, if you are a Christian, you have another option. Look at verse 8. So then, you, those who are in the flesh, excuse me, cannot please God, but you, Christian, are not in the flesh. But in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you, nor now if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. Paul says, look, if you've been born again by repenting, by receiving this free gift of God's righteousness given to you by faith in Jesus, you are no longer in the flesh. So you can please God. You are now in the Spirit, and He is in you. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead, these last verses tell us, is in you. So you are able to resist sin and become more and more holy, more and more sanctified. Not naturally, but supernaturally. Not in the flesh, you working hard, but in the Spirit. See, an unbeliever... And if, if you're here today and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, I'm glad the Lord brought you here. But if you're an unbeliever, you've only been born once. And according to verse 8, you cannot please God. There's no chance of it. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. But you, Christian now, you have a choice. You have two natures. You've been born twice. You have Mr. Oldman. We've talked about him. That's the old you. And Mr. Newman, the, the real you, right? Mr. Oldman is still incorrigible. He's still unreformable. He still, believe it or not, hates God. But Mr. Newman, we saw it in the last, the last chapter, loves God. And he's the real you. So here's your choice, verse 13. If you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. See, that's what it boils down to in this desire for holiness. If you feed Mr. Oldman, if you answer to him, if you let him call the shots, even though he's not legally your boss anymore, he will kill your marriage or your job or your witness, your body. But if you feed that is, follow the Spirit. If you 
Feed the Spirit and starve Mr. Oldman, you will live an abundant life of victory. Galatians, once again, says it. Look, if you walk by the Spirit, you cannot fulfill the lusts of the flesh. Okay? So, the way we enjoy the abundant life of victory over sin and grow from glory to glory is by functioning in or walking in the Spirit. Okay? So, today's message... And the subject of chapter 8 is life in the Spirit. Life in the Spirit. And right out of the gate, in the verses that we look at this morning, Paul reminds us that one of the primary ministries of the Holy Spirit to us, that one of the things that He does for us right out of, the, out of the gate, is to welcome us into the family of God. I want you to notice all of the family words in these verses. When I pause, you guys say the family word that's next, okay? Verse 14. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are sons sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption, by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if... Children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. A whole bunch of family words there. The topic then is life in the Spirit. And it's all about being in the family of God. If you're taking notes, i got five in words for you. I-N. Y'all ready? Here we go. Number one, first, the Spirit instructs us. He, the Spirit instructs the sons and the daughters of God. Number two, the Spirit brings intimacy with the Father. Number three, the Spirit includes us as inheritors along with Jesus. Okay, And then there's two more in words uh, toward the end. I-N, that is in trouble. We're going to find ourselves sometimes in trouble. And lastly, incomparable. Okay, Instructs intimacy, inheritors, in trouble, incomparable. Right here we go. Verse, the first one in verse 14. First, the Spirit of God instructs the children of God. Verse 14. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. Galatians 3.26 makes it clear that we are all sons of God only through faith in Christ Jesus. Okay, When we gave our life, when we began to trust our entire future into His hands, we became sons of God. But then immediately, according to verse 14, we be- began to be led by the Spirit of God. The word led there, listen to this, it means to lead with one's self. To attach one's self as an attendant in order to lead. Let me, let me put it this way. The Holy Spirit has taken you on as his own pet project. It's like you're Liza Doolittle and he's Professor Henry Higgins. Okay? He's attached himself to you. He is your guardian, your chaperone. Let me ask you this morning. Are you instructed by the Spirit? Are you led by the Spirit? Has he attached himself to you as your attendant? If you're a son or daughter of God, your answer is yes. Your answer has to be yes. He does instruct you. He, he doesn't let you get away with things that he used to let you get away with. He doesn't let you go to the places that you used to go. 
Oh, you can. You can go to those same places. But if you're like me, you found that your attendant, your chaperone, nags you so much that it's not even any fun anymore. He doesn't let you go to the places you used to go. And he brings you to places that you never would have been caught dead in before. Church. How many times did you say, I'm not ever going to that place with those losers? He brings you to church. He brings you to prayer. He brings you to baptisms. He brings you to evangelism meetings. There was a time when you were led by sin. And you smoked pot. Now you're led by the Spirit. Potluck. <laughs> right? You, you go to places. I would never go there. Why would I go to those places? You're led by the Spirit. And I don't know about you, but it seems to me the Spirit, my attendant, my chaperone, has an opinion on everything. What music you listen to, what movies you see, what TV you watch. The words you say, the things you see, the things you do, even the things you think. Am I describing you here this morning? I hope so. I hope you are instructed by the Spirit of God because verse 14 says, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. Verse 15. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you receive the spirit of adoption. Real quick, though, look back at verse 14. See that word led again? You notice it's not the word driven. A slave driver drives slaves, but a shepherd leads sheep. He still doesn't let them go necessarily where they want to go, but it's, it's the motivation behind the activity. The spirit leads. What's that imply to you? Tender care, protection. He goes before you. He's with you. His utmost desire for you is for good. The reason he won't let you do this and he makes you do that is because he cares deeply for you and for your future. Verse 15, for you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear. The word actually is dread or terror. Paul says, look, you were once in bondage either to sin or to the law, <laughs> depending on how you were raised, right? I mean, you were definitely in bondage to sin, but you were driven by fear. That is, uh, the fear of the consequences of your sin or of God's judgment that you knew you deserved. In the back of your mind, you knew it. Your relationship to God was one of dread and terror. How many times have you tried to witness to someone and they shut you down? You know why? They don't want to think about God. Dread. Terror. I'm going to put that off as long as I possibly can because it's not going well for me when I'm honest. Verse 15. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption. Y'all, that's awesome. The day you gave your life to Jesus, according to this verse, you went from being a slave, driven by fear, to a son. What a difference, right? A slave is just merely property. He lives in constant fear. Look, you're just property. Slave, you'll perform or die. I'll replace you in a heartbeat with more of my property. You shape up or you ship out. Paul says, Christian, 
You are no longer a slave. You're a son or a daughter of the living God. Now, I find it interesting. On the one hand, have you ever thought about this? On one hand, the Bible says that we are born into the family of God. But here it says we're adopted into the family of God. Jesus, in John chapter 3, Nicodemus, right? He comes to him at night. Uh, Nicodemus is this great teacher, but he comes by stealth at night to Jesus. And what does Jesus say to him? You must be born again. But here it says that we are adopted into the family. Why both pictures? Why both being born and adopted? Well, I think Jesus is making it clear to Nicodemus, Nick at night, <clears throat> says, look, you, you need to be born again because you aren't good enough to get into heaven. If, you, if we let you into heaven, you'll ruin it. Your, your first birth, Nicodemus, produced only a sinner fit for hell. For you to be saved, for us to allow you entrance into heaven, Jesus says you have to be born again. You need a complete do-over. You must be born again. There must be a brand new you. Okay? Well, that makes sense. Well, then why then this word, adoption? Why does he also have this picture of adoption? Well, I think for some of us here this morning, this is where it really gets sweet. I think God wants to remind us, remind you, I chose you. You know, you can pick your friends. You can pick your nose. Don't pick your friend's nose. Right, you heard that one. But also, you don't get to, by birth anyway, pick your children. You don't get to go in that first day and go, well, Junior's not too bad, but what about that model over there? You don't get to make that choice. But those of you who have adopted, you have had that unique opportunity, right, to actually choose your son. Or your daughter. Now here's the thing. If you adopted, you didn't know everything you were getting. Right? You couldn't. There was no way you could know every triumph or tragedy ahead. There was no way you could think ahead and see every rebellion, every goof, every gaffe that they would make. But did you know that God, when he adopted you, knew everything? Maybe this morning you have really Really blown it this last week. Maybe if you're honest, you've dishonored the family name. You wouldn't blame him if he did disown you. God may be saying to one or more of you this morning, Look, I knew what I was getting. I knew from the foundation of the world. A million years ago, I knew the end from the beginning. I knew that you would blow it. I knew that you would fail. I knew all of that when I chose you. And yet, I chose you to call my son my daughter. Now, this is awesome. If you're a Christian here this morning, God chose you. We are the mutt that no one wanted. We are the misfit toys. We are the slave that the old master chewed up and spit out. There's nothing lovely about us, but God the Father comes and He says, I'll take Him. I'll take her. 
I'm going to make them part of my family. And when he did, the Spirit came inside, and the Spirit instructs, and the Spirit, it says, brings intimacy. Look at verse 15. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption, by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. Abba. It's actually a very intimate word. It's not just a 70s pop group. A very intimate word, Daddy. Matter of fact, if you were to take a trip, get on a plane today, go over to Israel, just hang out in the park, you would hear this word, maybe a kid on a slide or on a swing, saying, Abba, Abba, Daddy, Daddy. It's a very intimate word that little boys use and little girls use for the one who watches out for them. The one who supplies all of their needs. The one who smiles when he hears their lisp. The one who kisses them goodnight and runs to their rescue when they're scared. The one who disciplines, but who never ever stops loving or gives up on that little one. Paul says the Spirit living inside us gives us that kind of a relationship with God the Father. I don't know about you, but it almost sounds weird. Blasphemy is too strong a word, but it almost just doesn't seem right to be able to call the Creator of all things Daddy. But that's exactly the kind of a relationship that the Father, that Jesus bought between us and the Father. Look at uh, John 20. You don't have to turn there, actually. Uh, But John 20, verse 17. Remember this. Remember when uh, Jesus is talking to Mary. is after he's been raised from the dead. He says to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to my Father, but go to my brethren. Go to my brothers, sisters. He would say that about people in this room this morning. Go to my brethren and say to them, I am ascending to my father and your father. To my God and your God. I, it's awesome. I've just accomplished this to where you all get to call my dad your dad. The scriptures declare that when you first believed and trusted in Jesus as your Savior, your Lord... The creator of all things, the the righteous judge, the one who back in chapter 3 was right to condemn you, becomes your daddy. When was the last time that you thought of him that way? When was the last time you spoke to him that way? With that kind of childlike intimacy. I'd encourage you to do it, to call him daddy. Let me ask you, dads, would you, would you want your four-year-old, your three-year-old girl, your four-year-old boy to call you sir? Don't you want them to call you daddy sometimes? Sometimes when Isaac, my, my five-year-old, has been hanging around the other kids from church, he'll start calling me Pastor Doug. <laughs> and I say, that's most right Reverend Doug to you. No, I say, Isaac, you call me daddy. You and I have a special relationship. Nobody else has that relationship. You and I, Noah and I, we have that relationship. I wonder how many people the Lord is speaking to right now saying the very same words. 
I want you to call me daddy. We have a relationship like no other. The Lord's saying to you, I want you to call me daddy. I will always love you. I will always be committed to disciplining you. I will always be supplying your every need. It's interesting that the word father is here and it is correct. But the word father by itself to me, even though it's completely appropriate, would miss the point. If Isaac, for instance, were to say to me, Father, when is dinner? I would say, what would you do with my kid? There's an intimacy between a son and a father or a daughter and a father that sometimes the only appropriate word is daddy, Abba. If you're looking for an application this week, call him daddy. Stretch out your arms like a little one wanting to be picked up and call him daddy. I know it might seem odd at first, but it will bless him just like it blesses you, dads. And I think it will help you and me to realize how much our relationship with him has changed. We used to be slaves. Now we're sons. You can call him daddy. Verse 15. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. Then it says, the spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. I hope that's what he's doing with you this morning. His spirit is agreeing with your spirit right in the chair where you're sitting. You are a child of God. If you've never given your life to Him, you don't know what you're missing. The Scriptures say, by the mouth of two or more witnesses, let every fact be established. So the two witnesses in verse 16 are the Holy Spirit in you, bearing witness with your spirit. Um, This is kind of hard to explain, but if you've ever given your life to Jesus, how can you know that you're a child of God? You just know. His witness, His Holy Spirit bearing witness with your spirit. Verse 16, the Spirit Himself bears witness with your spirit that we are children of God. Maybe, maybe this will help you. Just review what we've learned so far in these verses. Ask yourself honestly, am I instructed by Him? Am I led by Him? Does He not let me go some of the places I used to go? Does he kind of almost compel me to go places that I never would have imagined to go before? So does he instruct you? But also, do you have an intimacy that wasn't there before? Was there a time when you used to be scared of him and now you're drawn to him? If so, then his spirit is bearing witness with your spirit. You are a child of God. Verse 17. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. The Spirit instructs us. The Spirit brings intimacy. But here, the Spirit includes us as inheritors. It says we are God's heirs. The word heirs is kleronomos. And it's one who receives his allotted possession by right of, listen, sonship. One who gets his inheritance. He gets the stuff that's coming to him, not because he was good or deserving, but because he's a son. 
We are the children of God, verse 17, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. I don't even have, how do you, how do you begin to talk about this topic? Inheritance, the thing that is awaiting the, the sons and the daughters of God. I have no idea what all this means, but I can tell you this, it's good it's really good. First Corinthians 2 verse 9 says, As it is written, I has not seen nor ear heard nor have entered into the hearts of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. First Peter 1 Peter 1.4 says that there awaits an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven, just waiting in heaven for you. Whatever the inheritance, I know this. This should give you a big clue. We are joint Heirs with Jesus. Whatever he gets, we get. That's not bad. Bill Gates was at one time worth $101 billion. That was a little while back. He's not worth that anymore. We all know that story. But he has three children. uh, Jennifer Catherine Gates. Phoebe Adele Gates and Rory John Gates. Let's say, for argument's sake, that Bill wanted to adopt you. He wanted to make you a joint heir with Jennifer and Phoebe and Rory. You would instantly be ridiculously wealthy just by virtue of the family you belong to. Do you see here that if God has adopted you, if you are in His family, you are instantly, ridiculously wealthy. You are joint heirs with Jesus. And you know this, but God's riches make Bill Gates look like a homeless man who lives in a cardboard box. Okay, granted, it's a 66,000 square foot cardboard box. It's a nicer box than you or I have, but compared to God's estate where they pave the streets with gold. It's like, what are we going to pave those with? Gold. Compared to that, he's a homeless guy. God has adopted you. If you've given your life to Jesus, He's adopted you and you are joint heirs with His Son, Jesus. Verse 16, The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with Him. Wait a second. This was going so well. Let's see. The, the Spirit instructs the sons of God. The Spirit provides an intimacy with God. The Spirit includes us in the inheritance. And then, if indeed we suffer with Him. Now, this may make you feel better or worse, but the word if should actually be since. So it's not like, if you're in the family of God, it's not like it's an if. No. You will suffer. In this world, you will suffer tribulation. Jesus says, but be encouraged, I have overcome the world. Most of us, we come to this part of the verse, we're like, Lord, okay, I'm loving the instruction. I'm loving the intimacy and the inheritance part. Couldn't we just stop there and call it a day? Well, this whole message is is about what? Family. And Paul says, look, In this family, just like any family, you take the good with the bad. I think that was a theology theme song in Facts of Life. You take the good, you take the bad. Paul says, like any family, you take the good with the bad. If you've been, (coughs) excuse me, outlining notes 
you have written down so far. The Spirit of God instructs. He provides intimacy. He gives us inheritance. Once we are in the family, guess what? Part of the family is being in trouble. This is how we roll in the family of God. Someone has said, I think I heard Ray Stedman say it first, and I really, really like it. The definition of a Christian is one who is completely fearless, continually cheerful, and constantly in trouble. That's a great definition. Completely fearless, continually cheerful, and constantly in trouble. That was how you would describe Paul. Welcome to the family of God. Jesus says, look, they hated me. They're going to hate you. If they hated me when I roamed the earth in my flesh, they're going to hate me inside of you. John fifteen twenty. Remember the word that I said to you, Jesus says, A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. Welcome to the family of God. This is how we roll. We're in trouble. I want you to see something, though, in verse 17. There are three things that are together. Notice that it says we are heirs together. We are joint heirs with Christ. Notice also that we suffer together, but then it says that we may also be glorified together. In this family, it's all together. We all experience these things together. Verse 17, And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with Him, that we may also be glorified together. And Paul's saying is, look, after the suffering... Always comes glory. But maybe this morning, you're stuck in that middle phrase, suffering. I want you to notice, first of all, notice the whole phrase. Don't just stop at, if indeed we suffer. The, the, the phrase is, if indeed we suffer with Him. Can I ask you this morning, if you're suffering, are you suffering with Him? Or are you just suffering on your own? Have you asked him to shoulder your burden? Jesus is the one who said, Come to me, all you who labor, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, learn from me, I will give you rest. What's that say? It says to me that no matter what trouble you came in with this morning, you don't have to leave with it on your shoulders. Jesus says, Lay it down. Your big brother has huge shoulders. He says, let me yoke together with you. Let me carry this burden with you. If indeed we suffer with him. But notice also that Paul spends no time dwelling really on the suffering. He goes immediately to the glory that the suffering guarantees. I don't know if, you, if, you've, if you're a student of the Bible, you probably have noticed this. There is this connection in the Bible between suffering and glory. Suffering and glory. 1 Peter 4.13, you can write it down. Check me out. This, by the way, since that's Peter, we know both Peter and Paul got this. They both understood this connection between suffering and glory. 1 Peter 4.13 says, But rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when His glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. 
Next chapter, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 1, uh, Peter saying, The elders who are among you, I exhort, I am who, a fe- who am a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed. There's this connection between suffering and glory. Look at our verse here in verse 18. Not only Peter got it, Paul got it too. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed. Paul says wherever you look, wherever there's suffering, if you're in the family of God, there's glory somewhere being uh, prepared. If you've been taking notes... I want you to add one last in word. Your last word that begins with the I-N is this incomparable. Paul says wherever they're suffering, glory is sure to follow and they are incomparable. They cannot be compared. There's, There's no sense in comparing them on the same scale. Now, I... Unfortunately, I can't, I don't think it would be smart for me to get into, uh, but I think I will next Sunday. I want you to show up next Sunday and I'll prove to you that Paul is very experienced in both of these areas, suffering and glory. Okay, kind of save that to what's your appetite for next Sunday. But just please know that there are, there's some great stuff here. Just for now, trust Paul and trust me when we say that when it comes to suffering, the present suffering and the future glory, there's absolutely no comparison. He says they are not worthy to be compared in verse 18. The word there is axios, axis. It's actually a word from the marketplace. It's talking about a balance, a scale. When they would, you know, the merchants were supposed to be fair. They're supposed to say, okay, well, you did this. So here, you know, you gave me this. So this is what's fair. Paul says, look, the sufferings of this present time don't even belong on the same scale with the glory that God, it says, will reveal in us. Now, that's interesting, too. To reveal, uh, the word is apocalypto. It means to unveil That seems to me that God is working in us glory that we don't even see yet. I heard one one preacher talk about it this way. When when you suffer, even even your words, like the next person that, that, uh, that maybe that needs to hear encouragement along those lines, your words have weight. They have uh, value. Suffering, even in the present, provides glory, provides weight. But there's coming a time when it will be revealed, unveiled. And here's what Paul says about that scale. Picture this as we close. Picture all of your current troubles. Okay, And for some of you, they're tremendous. Lay them on the scale. Now, picture all of your past troubles. For some of them, some of you, really a lot. Weigh them on the scale. Now, include all of your future troubles. Probably going to be some. Unless you're, you're blessed and the Lord comes back today. Right? Or you get hit by a bus. Either way. Every trouble, every suffering that you had from before, today, today, and the future. All weighed on that scale. Okay? What Paul basically says here, when... Jesus comes and reveals this glory. 
just just the, the nanosecond that the weight of glory falls on that other side of the scale, your troubles are going flying off out of the galaxy. They're, they're, it's not even comparable. It's not even worthy to consider. I'm so grateful that I'm in this family, that I am instructed by the Lord, that I have this intimacy available to me. That yes, though I'm in, I'm in, I get to be part of His inheritance, and though I'm in trouble, the glory that awaits me is incomparable. Are you? Hope so. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. We thank you for your mercy, your goodness. Thank you, Lord. Um, just for the way that you minister. Lord, I don't know every heart here, but you do. I don't know what troubles and, and weights and burdens people brought in this morning, but you do. I ask, Lord, that you would speak to everyone. Lord, there may be some who need to lay those things down at your feet. There may be some who need to begin for the very first time a relationship with you. Or there may be some who uh, you've been instructing them for a while, but they've been ignoring your instruction. Lord, all that you desire to do, that you desire to minister to these whom you love, I pray that you just do it supernaturally, Lord, by the power of your spirit. You're welcome here, Lord. You do. You take over. You say and do and direct us in the way that you desire. We love you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.